Hey everybody, it is episode 60 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas. Steve is joining me from the interwebs from Colorado. Hey Steve, how are you today? I'm doing great. Hello, podcast world. Happy to be with you again. And of course, I am as well. We've got a continuation of our new series on purpose in practice that we're going to get to today. Initially, when we started this, Steve, we weren't sure exactly the cadence of these episodes, but we had three really good conversations. Two of those, because of time purposes, we were only able to play in that first part. So we wanted to have the third part or the third athlete conversation to play for you today. And then we're going to be giving some additional color commentary from you and I reacting from those three conversations. The series will continue beyond this. But we wanted to kind of get through these first two parts first, and then we'll see where it goes. But we're getting back to our purpose and practice topic today. And of course, we've got a few intro things before we dive in. The first is probably an underrated and often overlooked event, but one that's near and dear to our hearts because cross country is really the the the, the, the true running race. Right, Steve? It, absolutely. To me, it is. It, it, it's the... It's the great equalizer. across the greatest in the world. Yes. And we've got a big USA cross-country meet happening. It's actually going to happen the Saturday before this episode posts, but we're going to give our preview and predictions now. So when you listen to this on a Monday or after that, you can go back and look at the results. But we've got US Cross happening in Tallahassee, Florida this time. And I think because it's a, a year where you don't have major outdoor championships in the Olympics or World Championships... I think it's a year that we're getting a really interesting and diverse mix of athletes at the top of both of these men's and women's fields. So let's break it down. We'll start with the men's race. And one of the things you say, Steve, about loving world cross or cross country in general is because you can get marathoners on the line with 5K, 10K athletes on the line with maybe milers or steeplechasers. And we have exactly that here in the men's field. We've got Rupp coming down for the, from the marathon or the half marathon distance to race as part of his Boston preparation. You've got Leonard Career defending U.S. Cross Champions, who also has recently run a fast half marathon and has 10K titles in his resume. You've got Evan Jager, our famous and exciting steep American steeplechaser who has medaled at the Olympic level and the world championship level. And, you know, a mix of other athletes from all different backgrounds, they're going to be duking it out for the, for number one here. What are your thoughts on this field, Steve, for the men? I mean, I just think it's super interesting to see these, these, you know, how, how these, how this race plays out. Um, you know, first of all, Leonard career, is on a tear in terms of um, the way he's been running this year. I, I really do think it's going to be hard for me. I, he would be my first pick because he's just been on fire at every distance for, and I think he's going to run really well. I mean, I'm saying that over somebody who I think um, who I can think of is even, you know, probably the best American distance runner in Galen Rupp. I still think career probably is ahead of him. Um, at least when it comes to this and where Galen probably in his in his race prep, um, which is another question 
I have, but we'll talk about that in a little bit, right, Chris? So uh, my first impression is I think Leonard Career is is probably the the class of the field here. But if he doesn't if he doesn't really smart, then Jaeger and Cabeni have a they have pretty pretty substantial wheels, um, and if they're left around in it and to have a chance to get after it, they'll probably be there. You know, one person people really aren't talking about that much, but. Heron Legat ran a 61.01 at Houston in the half, and that plays really well to the race distance these guys are running, depending on how much work he's been doing on off-road and doing his cross-country work. Um, he's also somebody who might surprise people with a big push off the front, breaking the, breaking the race open. So I think it really is an interesting field, and um, Rupp's presence makes it sort of a story, but um, I'm not sure he's going to be the winner. So where would you put Rupp in this field if you were to? I put him clearly. I, I think he's at second if, if career pushes the rate court. If he pushes the race from 8K on or even 5K on, I just don't know that anybody has the strength to run with Rupp, um, that, that all those other guys can run with Rupp if Rupp's right on. But I think career can, and I think he'll outkick him. You know? But um, – if they all decide to sit around, which Rupp has been wont to do sometimes, you know, uh, he's done it at a couple U.S. championships in the 10K where he got his ass handed to him. Um, there's more than enough firepower in the rest of that pack to uh, to run around, at, you know, run for a good long while at a comfortable, reasonable pace and then then jet at the end. So I don't know. It's interesting, but I, I really do think it's sort of in my mind, I see career um, as the best in this race. So career rup and then who? Um, I'll, I'll I will say because I think it's going to be a faster race. I'm going to put Heron Lagat at third because I think somebody's going to make that race go, and I think that 61 flat at Houston um, shows some pretty significant fitness. And I'm not sure, given the race distance, those other guys are ready to go that far that fast. You know what I mean? I'm not sure Evan and Jaeger and Stanley Cabeni are really able to go that distance. I think they go 12k right. So they're it's it's pretty far for them <laughs> you know that's a long way for them so uh I, i'm gonna go rup i'm gonna go career rup legat and then i'll put uh kibeni in front of jaeger because i think jaeger's just a i think kibeni was second at u.s cross last year um and i think he'll be a better cross runner so that's who i'm picking what about you interesting you know, Jager hasn't run a cross race since 2006. That's or probably at least what he said. That's probably what he said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been a while. Uh, so, you know, I think in an honest race, I like your first two. I think career rup is probably the answer, but I'd slot Kabeni in at third just because it seems like Scott Simmons in that group tends to show up for these types of events. Kabeni was second last year. I think the fact that he's got a training partner and career near the front with him will will put him in a comfortable place. I don't think Jager's going to be next. I'd probably put Lagat next. So I'd flip basically your third and fourth. And then, you know, Jager, I think, I, you know, I just, I think the distance is a little much for him given his speed. Now, of course, if it sits around, as you say, and, and isn't an awesome, honest race, then obviously he'll, he'll be there and will be a threat at the end if, if it goes out slowly. Now, 
it's interesting about Heron Lagat because I don't think most people know, but he's he's most known, at least in these worlds, for being a pacer, oftentimes pacing steeplechases. And his recent foray in the roads is sort of new to him. And he's also a little bit of an older athlete. Well, he got his, into that yeah. group, that Simmons group. That's who he's training with. So, oh, he's with him as well? I believe I so. I believe that's right. why there's a big change, and you're seeing a big difference. I think he got into that crew, and that's been a big change. That's been a big okay. change. Okay. That, that changes the game for sure. Yeah, I'm not 100% I think if, sure of that, Chris. I might have to go back and double check it, but I'm pretty sure yeah. that that's true. So, so if that's true, but I, I still think Cabane and Career, I think they could go one, two. I think Rob could find himself out of the top three, depending on how the initial miles go. But I guess if you if you had to nail me to the wall, I'd say career, Rupp, Kabene for my top three. But it will be fascinating to watch because you just have a mix of skill sets. So strategy is going to be a big deal. And if Rupp wants to begin there, he has to make sure the pace is honest, but he's not one to usually want to take the lead. So that's the men's side. On the women's side, also a fascinating field. Got a mix again of marathoners, steeplechasers, and 5K, 10K runners with Emily Enfield and Courtney Frericks from the Bowerman Track Club. You've got Jordan Hesse allegedly racing, although she's not on the official start list yet. Stephanie Bruce is also in the field, who's known for being a marathoner. And then Molly Seidel, sort of up-and-coming new face who has won some short races recently. So what do you think of the women's side? Now it's super interesting how this is going to play out. Um, I think a lot of it's going to have to do with who's going to take the pace and who's going to make the race happen. Um, it's, uh, you know, many, many people won't know the name Molly Seidel, um, but she, in her years of running at, she's been an injury plagued runner, but is, um, has been one of the best American distance runners um, who people have never heard of. Um, and, you know, when she came out from New, um, Notre Dame, you know, she was hurt. She won a couple NCAA titles and then she kept getting hurt. Um, so she's somebody who everybody needs to be paying attention to. And of course, you know, Emily Enfield, everybody will know that name and everybody will be expecting her to win. But um, I depend on what kind of fitness she's in and where she's at. We know that, that Emily does not get on a starting line if she's not ready though. Right, Chris? I mean, it, it seems to be that she's not someone who just races into shape. So her name on this list um, usually says to me that she's probably ready to race. Um, again, I mean, Courtney Ferrix, she was fourth at this race last year. So she, you know, she's a pretty deep, and I think she was fourth at NCs a couple years ago running for New Mexico. Um, she's a capable and, and, and good cross country runner. And we saw her level of training has been much higher. So she's kind of a dark horse for that. I don't like Stephanie Bruce in this race because I just think cross the marathon is going to take her too far outside of where she's at. And she's not fast enough a marathoner for that to be um, a play for her. Um, I do look for her to maybe be in the top five, but I wouldn't put her in the top three. So I'm, I'm going to, but the biggest and most intriguing person here, if she runs is Jordan Hesse. where is Jordan at? Um, now I do believe that Alberto has no problem sending his athletes into harm's way and letting them go into races that they may not be particularly ready for, but he'll have a real purpose for it. So, um, it, as I said, it comes out to a really interesting race. My picks, the way the race goes, I think is going to have a lot to do with how Emily Enfield is where she's at in fitness 
And also has to do with how hard Jordan is going to work to try to get people to shake the tree, to get people off her shoulder. But at the end of the day, I still think the winner is going to be Molly Seidel. She's been, she was the best American at the Edinburgh, great Edinburgh race in cross country. I think she's got the wheels to turn it over. If people are still together at the end, she's very, very experienced on cross country. She's the best cross country runner in this group, in my opinion, um, in terms of skill set for that race distance and for those that that the um the terrain that she'll be dealing with um it's very hard for me to pick molly over an emily infield given where i think that emily is in shape for this but i don't think the world has really seen what molly seidel is really capable of yet and i think she's probably going to be looking at this as a coming out party so i'm picking molly for the win i'm going to put infield for second i'm going to put frerix for third and i'm going to put Hesay for fourth that's my order uh, you and I, it's almost like we planned this together. I, I like, I'm, 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 I'm very similar. I've got Seidel for the win. I think mainly because she's just closest to the cross country world, cross country experience, cross country shape. Cause we just saw, saw it, you know, with her run at, at the great bad race. So I think she's just closest to being ready for this race. The others, you know, are basically stepping off the track to do it and haven't run cross country in a little bit. So it's going to be a bit of an adjustment. Now it's in Tallahassee. I would imagine the field, the, the race course is relatively fast, but still cross is cross. So I'm going Seidel, Infeld, and I agree with you. I think it's Hesse versus Frerichs for that third spot. And I'm going to give the edge to Frerichs as well, just because I think you know, she's probably going to be more trained for this distance than, than Jordan is given that she's more marathon focused right now. So no surprises think, there. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So no surprises there, but we'll see, you know, I think I would love to see Jordan be aggressive in this race and try I think to use she's some of her. I think yeah. I don't I don't think that they would put her in this race if they didn't have a plan to make I think she and, and Rupp are gonna have a similar plan and they're gonna go somewhere after the halfway point and they're gonna try to run people off their wheels. And it's good practice for them having to do that, you know, and I think that's probably what he's looking for is the competitive opportunity in the least likelihood of getting injured, you know? So and they'll get great competitive opportunities. I just don't know that either one of them are gonna be able to shake at they're not they're not going to be able to go into that lactic basket and pull something out. You know what I mean? To make the, that what it takes to be con- good in cross country is to push, go lactic and then recover and push and go lactic. And as you know, Chris, um, that's very hard for marathoners to do when they're in, in, mar- in really peak marathon fitness. Yes. Yeah. And I'd like to, I'd like to see her take it even sooner, like a mile and a half in, yeah. but we'll see. So, which leads us to a good question for you as a marathon coach. If you were Coach Salazar looking at these results, what would you want to see from Rupp and Jordan to give you, you know, good warm and fuzzies that you're on track for Boston? Is, is it about time? Is it about place? Is it about how the race plays out? Does place matter? What would you be looking for? Well, you know, I guess I, I don't see their training, and that's a really important point to know what he's being seen as weaknesses for them, you know? Uh, and so I think that I would guess that they just assume that 
you know, we, I don't know, I guess the, what I would, the reason I would be putting them into this race is it's a safe place to work tactics and to try to run away from other runners, which neither one of them at the marathon have had to do yet. And maybe that's a plan for Boston and they're doing a little bit of a test for it if that's the way it goes. Now, if Galen and, and Jordan just basically sit on the leaders and don't do anything and don't make any work, get any work done, then obviously he was looking for a 10K race effort to hit a physiological box that he's just trying to check off, which is very much possible for for Alberto to do that kind of thing. But right. I think there's a little bit more here and I think there is a competitive instinct and see if they can – Break away, stay away, and hold off some really good from some really good competition. And my guess is, you know, this is kind of an off year for world for U.S. Cross in terms of. But I imagine that they're if that's their whole goal, that I'm sure they're very happy with the way the field has played out because it's a really good competitive field in both cases. So, um, yep. you know, that's what I would be looking at. That's why I'm thinking of it. You know, somebody might make the argument that Rupp is going in to try to make to try to make this about his legacy. I honestly see no reason why Rupp would need this on his resume. Um, he's not going to run the world cross country championships anytime soon. Um, who fucking cares about it? This is, there's a, this is either physiological or competitive strategy. It's not about legacy. Um, uh, Rupp's legacy is a secured you know what I mean? At this point in time, he need, he could really use a gold medal, which I think is all that they're focused on right now. That way you get a gold medal, then getting a win at the U.S. cross country is a stupid reason to run this race, in my opinion. And for Jordan, it makes no freaking sense whatsoever. So anyway, I think that there's another reason, and that's the reason I think that they're trying to get them to be able to – whatever strategy they're going to – whatever their race strategy is, is going to be planned – to give them an opportunity to win a race that way. And if they fail, it's no big deal. I don't think it'll be that big a deal for what their general preparation is. What do yeah, you think? Because, because look, I mean, they're trying to win Boston. Right. I mean, Boston, winning Boston means so much more in the grand scheme of resume building, if that's what you're thinking about. I mean, it's a hundred times more important than this race, right? So... So clearly that's the goal. And then the question, as you alluded to, is from a training standpoint, what are we trying to get out of this? Are we just trying to get a good solid 10K effort in or are we trying to test tactics and fight in competitiveness? In which case, what matters then is how they respond at the end when things get tough and tight, right? So we'll see. But it's, yeah, Chris, it's fascinating. One other thing about this is just so our listeners know, you know, we've done a lot of talking about goal setting and making a plan from a long time out and how you set up a macro cycle. And you said it's in Jordan and, and um, Galen's, their goal is to win the Boston. But, but you and I both know that their real goal is to win the Olympic gold medal. And so they're going to be using, Bo they're going to go, it's not something like they're going into Boston trying to figure out how not to win, right? They're going for the win. But more importantly, what they're doing is setting themselves up with great competitive race experiences that look more and more like what, a, what an Olympic competitive race will look like. And Boston is definitely that more than, say, a Chicago or something else. You know what I mean? So uh, anyway, the, I want our listeners to, to hear, we know that there's a plan long term here for these guys that can culminate in the summer of 2020. Um, and 2018 is a part of the process along that way.
Right. And U.S. Cross will be a small footnote in that journey <laughs> very, when it's all very said and done. <laughs> so that's the point. We're trying to put that in context. Speaking of Galen and Jordan, we've got just a little bit of running news drama just to quickly touch on, just so people can got us get a sense for that. You know, hey, there is drama in the running world. It's it's funny. I always speculate as a football fan or as a basketball fan as well that the NFL or the NBA often puts out gossip with their quote sources just to generate media interest and buzz and to get people talking about things like recently the New England Patriots it was said near the end of the season that Belichick didn't authorize the trade of Garoppolo to the 49ers and that there was some sort of tension in the building in New England between the owner Robert Kraft and Belichick and that maybe Belichick was going to be leaving after this season and all of this bullshit. And, you know, this coming from insider sources, which really, as I looked at it as a fan, I'm like, okay, so that's just basically somebody spewing bullshit to drum up, drum up some media interest to give some drama around the Patriots, either to create just eyeballs and, and clicks or to generate more hatred or more love, depending on where you fall with the New England Patriots, to basically get more people to watch. So we don't get a lot of that in the running world, but we've got a little drama that we can talk about. And yeah, it might be some speculation and people putting out bullshit to try to play games. But we know that there's some things, some transitions, some changes happening within the Oregon Project, the group coached by Salazar and Galen Rupp, and with Jordan Hesse in that mix as well, where Matthew Centrowitz has now announced he's going to be moving to Washington, D.C. area to work more directly with his father, Matt Centrowitz Sr. We know that Shannon Robery has announced that she's going to be moving to San Francisco. Now, both of them at this point are, are sort of being coy about what that means about their coaching, and they're kind of saying, look, we're still going to be coached by Salazar or Julian, but we're just moving because that's what we need for our life at this moment or whatever it may be. But... Underneath all of that, we know there might be some trouble in in Portland, at least within that group. What what's your take on the recent noise around the Oregon project? Uh, my take is all Alberto Zalazar has really cared about from the beginning is Galen Rupp and Jordan Hesse, and I just think it's more of the same. And it does a little bit make me question why a guy like Engels is there and why a guy like. Um, What's his name from uh, Akron? Uh, I'm forgetting his name right Murphy. now. Anyway, Clayton Murphy. Yeah, he went. They they definitely chased um, those athletes, but I wonder if they're chasing those athletes for Pete Julian and not for Alberto. You know, and that Pete Julian will have, who is a by the way a phenomenal coach and is more than capable of working with athletes of that standard and that caliber and that quality. They're incredibly good. Um. They're incredibly, he's an incredibly good coach, but um, I think that that's what's happening. I think that maybe Matt and Shannon don't really feel the need to be working with um, another coach. And so with the fallout, I don't think it's really so much the fallout of the drug 
allegations towards Al- Alberto as much as it is the lives changing and maybe a turn, a changing of the guard in the coaching realm, because I think that Alberto is focused only on two athletes. Um, and if he gets his gold medals from those athletes or even one gold medal or other medals from those athletes, you can, I can guarantee you, he will drop the mic and walk away. (laughs) I don't think he cares for all the pressure. He will have gotten Nike, what it all wanted for. He'll be taken care of for the rest of his life and he'll go around doing his four mile trot every morning, you know? But, um, I do think that the other thing is a one thing to talk about this is, there's no trouble going on in Portland when it comes to Jerry Schumacher's group and the Bowerman Track Club. That group is getting stronger and stronger by the day. And so right. I think that basically Nike is looking at it and saying, okay, we started this thing, but we've got a better team. And it definitely seems to be more of a team there with the Bowerman Track Club than it ever was with the Oregon project. So. Yep. I think it's just the way things, you know, Chris, we, we know this in business. We know this as coaches that athletes' motivations change. Coaches' motivations change. Things flex through time. No one does the same thing over and over and over again. And this is just sort of a natural evolution where what happens. And I think it's a lot less drama than it is about um, just the way things go. And, um, you know, I, we certainly know from what we've heard, at least what we've heard in rumors, is how difficult it is to work with Alberto Zalazar that um, it could be that both Central Wits and Roberry are like, get us the heck out of Dodge. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and to some extent, I think there could be some underlying idea of dissociating with the negative aura that surrounds Salazar. Because if you're an athlete like Roberry, who's being really coached by Pete Julian anyway, why would you want that negative halo over you if you're a clean athlete, right? So I think there could be something there, but I think more than that, you're right. It's that Alberto has decided to put his eggs in two baskets, the Rupp and the, and the, and the Hase baskets, which it really was always the plan was to get and build athletes that could win Boston and win the Olympic gold in the marathon, right? That was always his thing. And so he's at an age now where he's like, look, I've got my two horses. They're still young and have potential in front of them. I'm going to ride them until it's time. And then those horses are going to go to pasture and I'm going to go in the house and put my feet up. Yep. I think that's what's (laughs) So I think that's definitely happening on the Salazar side. And then for the other, for Robery and for Sensiewicz, I think it's just then about, okay, let's just move into a life position that's more reasonable rumor has it that rubbery is going to go back to law school or at least is looking at that after her career is done so maybe she's just she's i mean she's from the bay area she's lived there before she went up to the Oregon project so you know i think it's her just returning to her roots and in similar ways matthew centrowitz returning to his roots a little bit at least being closer to his father so I agree. Not a lot of drama there. I do think the implications could be interesting for both Robbery and Centrowitz because you do have just a treasure trove of resources at the Nike campus there in Beaverton, Oregon, close to Portland, that you're not going to necessarily have the same set of resources around you from doctors and labs and the ability to have access to the best strength coaches you know, in the world and all these things, right? So it'll be interesting to see if it impacts their results and their training at all. But I agree with you. I agree with you overall. It's probably not a drama thing as much as it is just transition. 
as transition is c- comes, right? Change is the only certainty in this world. <laughs> okay, so that's our intro. Now let's hey, jump wait, into one purpose. Other thing, one other okay, thing, I, I forgot I forgot to tell you this. I'm going to spring one on you. Um, have you heard about Shalane being in the Michelob Ultra commercial for the Super Bowl? Yeah. Totally. That's pretty I, cool, man. I, just read I mean, about this, that. Will be, this will play out. This will, will people will get to hear this at, well, they hear this afterwards, but I think it's really, really cool that she's doing that. And um, I thought it was pretty interesting that to her, she equated being an American, being American with voting, making an Olympic team, and being in a Super Bowl commercial. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Again, it just shows, I just, every, day i get more and more respect for shalane as a human being and uh, <laughs> yeah it, it just she just she's just she's just having fun while doing what she loves to the best of her ability and I, that's the thing i think that's different now chris it seems like shalane is having fun whereas i think we always it looked like she was trying too hard and it seems like whatever's going on with that creating of community that they have there all those incredible women running together at one time it seems like Perhaps she's found the fun back and on her as she's as she's moving away from her competitive career being finished. She's looking at all the ways she can take advantage of it. And I think it's really, really cool. So um, anybody keep your eyes open for the Super Bowl to watch the commercial. Yeah, it's cool. I think it's also representative of the fact that she doesn't have pressure anymore. I mean, I know she puts pressure on herself, but I think going into New York, she definitely came out a different athlete with that major win, that world major win, because that for her was the big final piece of the resume that she wanted to put in place. You know, she has an Olympic medal. She's won, you know, who knows how many U.S. titles. She's been competitive in marathons, but never had won a major. So she got that under her belt. And so now, you know, it'd be awesome to win Boston, but I know... I know she could walk away from the sport now and feel content with her resume. So really from here it's gravy. And I think that's a dangerous place for her competitors <laughs> to have her in when it's like she can just go run and do her thing without any pressure of having to win any one race. And we know she puts pressure on herself and she's always going to be bring like the best and be intent on winning. But but now she can do it without any pressure at all. And if she wins, awesome. And so if she's having fun doing it too, I think it's it bodes well, I think, for Boston, for her. I agree. Her competitors should also be very uh, wary of having seen her drop 10 seconds on her 3K time in a couple of weeks. So. <laughs> yes. I mean – that that's no joke you know we were we talked about it before how how important how impressive was it 853 well she just ran 843 and i can tell you the level of magnitude difference between those two numbers while only 10 seconds is huge that's five seconds a mile that's a big big difference in terms of of where she'll be in a marathon training cycle man shalane is looking really i i do not think there is no way jordan could say could run an 843 right now <laughs> oh so, I know. and yeah, yeah and then yeah i mean that meet she broke the meet record although she didn't get the meet record because she got beat by sifan hassan who's a miler and who's 1505 really, one of the best 1500 yeah. we picked her for the world championship win in the 15 right, right. <laughs> so you know so yeah to be able to hang with her and i think shalane basically rabbited her that race so yeah 
Sifan got to just sit and kick at the end, and obviously she blew her out of the water to finish. But it did, to me, I agree. It was super impressive. Trelane's got her wheels, and she's clearly having fun. Watch out, Boston. Yes, watch sure. out, world. Yep. All right. So thanks for springing on me, though. That was a good surprise to add to the yeah. mix. <laughs> Everybody go back and watch the Trelane Michelob Ultra Super Bowl commercial. Okay. Let's talk purpose. So last week we got we had two of our athletes from our podcast training group on the show, Lee and Amanda, kind of working through their purpose with us. Today we're about to play another interview from Greg, who's also in that group, who has a little bit of a different story, a little bit of a different starting place. And I think his purpose kind of evolved to a, a slightly or maybe even not slightly, but a different place than Lee and Amanda's. And so I think it's gonna be interesting for everybody to hear just another conversation from a different perspective. So we'll play that now, and then we're going to come back on after and just talk a little bit about what we learned from all three conversations. So here we go with Greg. Welcome, Greg, to the show. How are you doing today, Greg? I'm good. How are you doing, Chris? We're doing awesome. Thank you for joining us. As we jump in here, Greg, I wanted just to get a little bit of background for the listeners and we'll start with your running journey. How'd you get into running and how has it progressed for you? So a little over six years ago, I was uh, I was pretty out of shape. Um, I hadn't worked out in over a decade. I, uh, I spent a good part of my 20s partying and eating poorly, um, just not making the healthy choice in life. And, uh, you know, I woke up one day and I was, seeing, I was just, I was just miserable and hopeless. It felt like felt like life wasn't going in the direction I needed. And I always grew up um, playing, I, I grew up playing sports and, and that's really what made me happy. So one day in the middle of the winter, I put on some old uh, sweatpants and, uh, and r- some old running shoes that weren't really uh, actually, they were more like Nike style shoes, but I went out for running them. And, and that was the first day in a long time that I felt like I accomplished something. So I uh, kept moving forward and I haven't looked back. How did that progress for you? When did you when did you do that first race? So that that first run was uh, I think it was in a fe- February of 2011, and my first half marathon was September. So when I first started in February, I couldn't run to I couldn't run past the stop sign. My goal was to make it to the stop sign without stopping, which was probably 200 yards away. So I would run to that stop sign and then walk. And then the next day I'd try to run a little bit past the stop sign and then walk, you know, just a, a run walk to start. And then um, about seven months later, I finished my first half marathon. That's awesome. And when did you start thinking about the marathon? Um, my cousin, my cousin knew I was, I was pretty unhappy with my health at that point And she had been a runner and she challenged me, I think it was in April or so. There was a Hamptons half marathon in September and she, and she challenged me to do it. And another one of my cousins, um, she was just getting into running as well. So the two of us took on the challenge and, and we crossed the finish line together. It was, it was a great moment. And the second I crossed that finish line, I said, I'm never doing that again. And then within a year, I had about 10 half marathons finished. So. What was your first marathon time out of curiosity? My first marathon time was 357.50. That was in 
That was in 2013. So within two years, I went from 225 in my first half to 357 in my first fall. That's awesome. And now you've run 309, right, in Chicago, 2017. Yeah, just a couple of months ago, my goal was to uh, get a BQ time, um, and I, I just got under that 310 that I needed. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And, and for reference, you're doing with, so you're also training with our podcast group, training for the Coastal Delaware Marathon. I believe that's on April 22nd. Correct. What are your goals for that race? So my goal for Chicago was to get the Boston qualifying time. And I always thought if I get that time, then, you know, I felt that I deserved the spot in Boston. Um, so I would do a charity run, you know, you can't really, you can't count on Boston to uh, let you in the race. You have to kind of go above and beyond that qualifying time. So my, uh, my initial goal for Chicago was just to get the time. And then I would run Boston with a charity. And I, I thought I'd be, I thought I'd be happy with that. And then two days after I got that qualifying time, I think I emailed you Chris actually asking you how you guys thought about, um, that plan and you said well you earned your spot but you could probably get it on your own if you want so uh again like what happened in you must have chris must have answered that question did chris answer that I did, question because I, yeah. I would have said that's bullshit <laughs> but anyway yeah, I, was, I was definitely nicer about it <laughs> yeah so i mean it was actually exactly what i needed to hear because i just needed that one little push you know like Right, same same feeling that I had after that first half half marathon when I said I'm not doing that again, and then I signed up for my next one. I think within a week or so, um, I just needed a little bit more time after the finish. And then, so I think on on October 9th, I emailed Chris. October 10th, I emailed him again saying, "You're right, I'm going for another one." So <laughs> that's two awesome. Two days after yes, I that that- finish line, I, I, I'm back at it. Now I'm now I'm remembering that exchange, but I hadn't connected you to it until now. So 305 then? Yeah, so I'm looking at the three, Crystal Dillard? I'm looking at 305. I still have a lot of work to do to okay. get there. Okay. So let's let's get to your statement of purpose. And I think we got started getting these out from you guys about December. So we're about a month past that now in terms of you writing this down and sharing it with our podcast training group, but I'm going to let you read it first and then we'll talk about it. Sure. So, um, it's kind of recapping kind of what I just said, but, uh, for a large portion of my life, I sold myself short by taking the easy way out. This led me down a disappointing, unhealthy, self-destructive path and oftentimes complacent and sedentary. At age 30, I realized that to get the results in my life that I hoped for I act and actually live life instead of running from it, I would need to change pretty much everything. The first change I met, made was putting on an old pair of running shoes and an oversized, worn-out pair of sweatpants and sweatshirt and just jog to the stop sign at the end of the street. I got much more out of that jog than I ever expected. My life is totally different today. I've continued to push myself past that stop sign uh, with every goal I set. I love, I love what running teaches me about life. I run to never go back to that old way of living, to never be the complacent, miserable, unsatisfied with life guy that I used to be. 
I run to achieve, to do what I never expected myself to do, and to pr prove to myself that hard work pays off. Okay, since you've written that about a month ago, has it evolved at all or would you add to it? Um, that's pretty much the, that's the gist of it for my personal goals. I love, I love being able to inspire other people's all, uh, other people to get into health and fitness also. I had a roommate um, a couple years ago that he was also out of shape and he just finished his first full marathon this past fall in New York, and it's, it makes me so proud that that by doing the right thing, it can inspire somebody else to do to do to improve on their own goals and help themselves out. So, um, I also have a six-year-old stepdaughter that I want to be able to show that really you can do anything if you if you actually focus and, and put put hard work behind it. So. I'd like to add those things, but that's the main gist of it. I have a little bit of a weird question first, and then we'll see what Steve has. Okay. How do you feel about that old self? Oh, I feel like a different person. The the, the pre-running self. But how do you feel about that guy? The overweight Greg who was unhealthy and doing you know, things that maybe weren't contributing to a a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, How do you I feel about that person. Um, if I think about it, I can become disappointed in that in that time in my life and and disappointed at those decisions. But um, that's if I'm really over if I'm overthinking it because if I didn't go through those if I didn't go through that time, I might not have ever came out the other side. Um, I think I I do a lot of things on the in extremes so. If I didn't go that far down the bad road, um, I might not, I might have just lived a middle ground life that wasn't, that I didn't really achieve or, or push myself as hard as I am now. So um, that old Greg at, at points can disappoint me. It, it, it's disappointing to think of, but it's, uh, I think it made me, it made me who I am today. So. Did you ever struggle with addiction during that time in your life? I did. So I was, uh, I was drinking, I was drinking a lot, eating a lot, um, pretty much addicted to more, more of everything over partying, just everything running. Okay. One more before I let, one more before I let Steve ask a question. Sure. Are you ever afraid that you'll go back and be that guy? Um, I've done a lot of work and I continue to do work to not go back to that guy. I think it always I think there's always a possibility, right? You always hear of people um, relapsing or going back to their old way of living, or people losing a bunch of weight and then get, and then putting it back on. So I think that's a fear, but it's a healthy fear, you know. It keeps me in check. So, um, I'm gonna challenge you on. Those are tough questions Chris just asked. And you answered them like like water like rolling off a duck's back. So you're going to be awesome here, Greg. Relax. <laughs> sit back. Don't kick your feet up yet because we're going to make you sweat a little bit more. But um, continue in that vein of honesty and we're going to get down to brass tacks pretty quickly. Cool. There's, a key, there's a couple key statements in your current statement of purpose that I want to highlight first. The first one is the most important one. And that's the one thing I squared off immediately when I read it was 
I would need to change pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, can you tell me now, you wrote that in December about a self, as Chris has just sort of pulled from you, about a self that you would you really don't want to see again. Right. But what what is that change? And have you seen it yet? When you say, I would need, I want to take the word pretty much out of there because I think those are like two of the least effective words in the human language, <laughs> in the English language. Fair enough. But I also know that they're a way for us to always couch any kind of two. We, Our society wants us to be equivocal. In this process, I want you to be unequivocal. So I'm going to take those two words out. I would need to change everything. How far have you gone in that path to this point? And where are you in that continuum right now? Uh, I would... I think a fair number would be 90% that compared to the way I was before I, before I got sober um, and before I started working out and running and eating healthy, uh, I'm 90% different than I would. I still have some of, I still have some, some things I could work on. Obviously um, I can still sit down and, uh, on a Friday night and if there are six slices of pizza left, I'm eating all of them. So so that's something I could work on. There, there's, there are definitely rooms for improve. There's definitely room for improvement in a lot of aspects of my life. But, um, I mean, I did, I did change. I would say ninety percent of the things that I was doing. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, you're gonna get a few pats on the back from me, and here's one of them. I think you've actually, you're at ninety nine, if not a hundred percent, honestly, Greg. So I think what you're doing. And I'm going to now highlight the other words that came in the second paragraph. You used more words of negation than you were than you used words of positive. Yeah. You you said I run to never go back. I run. I want to do what I never expected. I want to never be complacent. Right. And I think that that's part of what we need to eradicate from the statement of purpose, because I believe that you are never going to be 100 percent of where you want to be. And yes, that's exactly why you're doing the things you're doing. And you should have a little bit of fear there. You should have a little bit of that space. But I think opening the window to 90 percent really actually opens the door for something bad to happen. And what I would prefer you is to get on the front end of this like a warrior and be like, Fuck that shit. I've already done it. Not that you're a hundred percent, but that you're, you've gone even further and your use of those negative, negative statements are problematic because what it does is it says one of the key things that Chris was trying to point at before you're never going to be good enough in a, some sense in your own, in your own mind. And we have to get you beyond that point, right? I think you already know you're beyond that point intellectually, mm-hmm. It's much more difficult to live in that space. I think you're living in that space on a day-to-day basis. If I asked your wife, I'm sure she would tell me that you are one of the most amazing fathers to her child that you that she could imagine, that you're nearly as good a husband as she could ever imagine. I mean, I imagine almost everybody in your space are going to tell you that they can't, they're just ecstatic about being with you. But that doesn't change the fact of what's going on when you put two feet in front of the, one foot in front of the other when you're out on the roads, right? right? And that's where the real nut cutting comes when you're out there. So the first suggestion here is let's channel that you've changed nearly everything yeah. and let's remove the negative words that are in there and, and, and get all of that out so that we can focus on the things that will be proactive. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that, uh, 
I know that I know that when I race, when I was out there on, in in October um, in Chicago, I I almost brainwashed myself before the race, and and I can totally get into that space of I own this, and this is this is my race, and and my mantra for that was that 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 I earned my spot here, and and that carried me through the tough points, especially at mile 24, 25, when it was starting to get hot, and I was I, was, I knew I was close to the goal. Um, and I can totally get into that space, but you're you're to, you're definitely right on the day to day basis. I I can fall back into that uh, that negative that negativity. I think that's one of the reasons why I love racing so much is because I can become. It's just me in the road out there, you know. There's there's thousands of other people around me, but none of them at that point matter. It's it's me, and it's am, am I a beast or am I just gonna or am I gonna crumble? And uh, that it's. It's the truth out there, you know. You 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 get the truth of who you are when you're when you're putting the, those miles in. It's fascinating to me too, especially now that I I looked back and read our email exchange. Since you mentioned that, because before the race, you told yourself, "I'll be satisfied with just getting a Boston qualifier, but not actually getting enough to go to Boston." I'll be. You told yourself before that. Bingo. I'll be happy, right? And then afterwards, you were trying to talk yourself into staying in that place. Like, you know what? It's good enough that I ran 309. I'm a boss. But Chris, please talk me out of it. (laughs) Would you pretty please talk me out of it? (laughs) But then, of course, one short, I mean, I wrote like a paragraph back to you and, and you were right on, you know, yes, I could do that. So, yeah, there is something interesting there, which Steve kind of is getting to, which is that. You have to, and, and at some level, intellectually, like he said, you, you believe it, but you have to own the fact that you're worthy of whatever it is that you want. Yeah. And if it's going to Boston, own it. You know, you're, I think you're couching a lot of what you're saying here and maybe how you're operating in with some of these goals as, you know, I was a pretty shitty dude, so I don't deserve whatever it is out there and so that baggage of that history while by the way amazing kudos to you standing ovation for you know working through that and being where you are now but we just got to make sure it's not holding you back because it's not your reference point anymore as i think steve was alluding to and you know craig a lot of what happens with all addictions is they get mis. So I'm, I am not a medical professional and I don't have any um, specific training in dealing with what people would call psychology, but I have a lot of boots on the ground experience in this regard, especially my time that I spent working at the University of Texas where I dealt with a lot of athletes who were dealing with what we would call addiction issues from one, you know, from eating disorders all the way to drug and alcohol issues. And almost all of them come down to control. And it's controlling or not controlling, depending. And in, in the case of most people who are in an addictive state of mind, it's the fact that they let control go to some other um, with disordered eating and things like that. It's that they take control no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so what Chris and I are going to ask of you, the biggest, the big level thing I want you to write in all caps when you start this process for you to reference how you're going to rewrite this statement of purpose is, I am in control. 
Because if you start there, you will not fall back on these less than optimal word choices or mental constructs that you can go into. And you're already on top of this before you allow yourself to sort of slip back under. Um, and that is just innate. It's, you know, it's ultimately, I don't want to get into it too much, but basically it's mommy and daddy issues from way back in the day, whether they're our mommy or daddy, it doesn't really matter, but that's what it is. I don't want to get too heavy on it, but you're already changed everything. Let's change that too. Cause you're in control and you know it. That's why you're doing all this. That's what you're talking about. That's why this moves you. Cause you're on the edge choosing to get out and do the miles, choosing in those miles to do the hard work, choosing in the hard work to then do more and choosing when you get challenged a little bit on something that everybody else in the world would say is, didn't you just achieve your goal by qualifying for Boston? Then reaching out to a person that you respect and saying, have I, and him saying, have you, and you saying, Oh hell no. Yeah. Right. So you're in control, buddy. Your buddy, you're in control. Let's take full control. Sure. And clearly, he's a beast, a warrior. Clearly, yeah. I mean, you <laughs> use the term beast, Steve. You use the term warrior. You talked about that in Chicago. Obviously, to get out of the shit you've had to deal with, to get to where you are now, you had to be that to work through it because. You know, whether it was going from 200 meters to the stop sign or managing your drinking or managing your eating, making other healthy choices, when shit got real, once you made that decision, you've been a beast in all of it. And that's why you are where you are now. So let's own that. Okay. Can I go back, Chris, for yes. just a sec? Go back. I'm going to go back to, uh, let's go to your last statement, okay. right? To prove to myself that hard work pays yeah. off. Has that happened or not? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, so let's get rid of that shit. It's already done. Yeah. Like, check <laughs> it off, yeah, right? Check. Forget that shit, okay? Yeah. I run to achieve. Have you done that? Yeah. Yeah. Now, then that's, that's sand. Those two words, those are the bread to the real meat. To do what I never expected myself to do. Now, that one, I'm sure you can't answer in the affirmative because that's a really big, giant thing that's ongoing, right? Right. Well, let's really, let's, so now, this is really interesting, Chris, Chris and I, and all this, this is our third one of these. We've had to go into goals because that's the only way you can really get the nitty gritty out of what their statement of purpose is. Yep. So I'm not going to ask you your specific goals because we know your short-term specific goal. What do you expect yourself to do? Like you've got to know that in order to be able to go or at least have an idea of what that is, or at least have something that scares you or makes your sphincter pucker because that's really where it is there, Greg. Yeah. What I never expected myself to do is sort of the catch all cop out to say, I want to be better, but I don't know what the fuck that is. And what I think when you look at this, number one, you write at the top of your page, I'm in control, but what do you want? What is it that you expect? And you use those words. I'm just saying, what do you want? Can you articulate that a little bit for us today? Do you know where that is? Or is that still a little bit too far out to say, okay, we know you want to get a BQ, but dude, like, come on, we're, we're badass coaches. We're going to get you where you need to be. We're going to get it done where you need to be. What we're going to get faster. You're going to get that. That's low hanging fruit. What's next? What's the big scary thing that's way out there that you can get excited about? Right. So 
I think that uh, I think I was kind of using Boston as a finish line, um, and that's not the reality of it. That's not the that's not what um I expect or or uh, see. I never expect I never expected to run a marathon. I never expected to really even get past that stop sign. I was when I was two hundred close to two hundred and fifty pounds. I I was expecting to get out and hopefully feel a little bit better about uh, an accomplishment. Um, but that's not, so the goals have ch- constantly changed and the expectations have constantly changed. So um, every time I get, every time I achieve one of those goals, it takes me a couple of days to, to really fire it up again. And, and, and my, like I said, the expectation changes. Um, I get a lot of inspiration from these, older guys or um or guys that have been running for 20 years longer than i have and have a ton of experience and uh i never expected that at 36 years old that i would be running this much or that i'd be running at all or that i'd be alive i i I did i really had no expectations past um getting through the day and now i look at these guys and i'm like well if he's running 20 seconds faster per mile than I am. And he's 20 years older than me or however many years older than me. I, I don't expect that I'll be doing that, but I push myself and hope that I'll be doing that. Okay. Bullshit. Like (laughs) you do expect it and stop pussyfooting around about it. Like stand up and I don't need to know exactly. You need, going to need to figure this out to get a really good statement of purpose, Greg, because you've got to state it because you're going to, and I don't know that you need to state the goal, but you need to have a goal out there that you think you have a ghost of a chance to achieve, but it's worth, it's a path with heart to go get it. And you, I already know that, you know, that running is a path with heart, right? Right. It saved your life basically for all intents and purposes. But that's not enough because you know, it's not enough. That's why you joined this group. That's why you reached out to Chris in the first place. So your statement of purpose isn't going to need to address what you expect and what you really expect. And what you expect is to be like those guys. But the problem is measuring yourself against other people is like measuring yourself against a moving target. You can't do it. It has to be your time in your space. And so what I encourage you to do is to start really thinking about what it is you expect, what you expect of yourself, willing to fail at it. Understanding you might feel at it early on, but you believe that you can get there if you continue to exhibit all the same attributes that you're current exi- currently have exhibited, exhibited to get to where you are right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I could definitely come stronger with a, sta- with a stronger statement of purpose. Uh, I, again, I guess I'm hesitating, hesitating, um, protecting myself from failure, you know, but... I could definitely. Yeah, I think, I think it's a combination of that and also a real, I don't want to call it self image issue, but I think you're, you're comparing yourself to your old self and that reference point isn't relevant anymore. It's gone. It's you already gone. said it. You you're already said I've changed that. everything. Your reference point is not that. Right. It's, it's much bigger. So you're kind of, you're giving yourself this out because your bar is that old self and your bar, that bar has gone. 
We got to yeah. let it go. We you know, when we first that old self, and, and when we first started on. talking about this statement of purpose stuff, Chris, we talked about: Do you have a hero? Do you have a running hero? And this is a place where that kind of stuff can be really helpful to you, Greg, because you already now in this podcast group and in other places, you've got people that you've looked up to. You said these older guys that have been doing the things that I want to do. So I don't want to belittle the fact, you know, you stated that and I said, bullshit, I don't want to belittle what they're doing or their impact to you. But what I want you to do is to grab a hold of that and not say, oh, that's some pie in the sky future thing I can't ever achieve. But more along the lines of, I want to see myself doing that. I'll give you an example. I mean, I had no business when I was a 15-year-old kid running in the streets of San Antonio in dark in the wintertime to be thinking that I could outkick Steve Prefontaine or run with the fastest runners in the world at the time. But yet I always positioned myself in every single run that I did that I was chasing those guys and racing after them. And it was the only way I could actually get myself to start to believe I could beat the guys that were in my neck of the woods or that were the best in Texas or the best in the country because my, uh, my objective was to beat the best in the world. And so you need those heroes to get yourself there. But you also need to see yourself in that space and not just project hero stuff. Again, it goes back to control, making sure that when you write this statement of purpose, you've got control at the top and know you've already proven yourself to be in control. So guess what? Take the goddamn wheel and drive it. Drive this thing. There's sure. something here too about this beast and warrior concept because when he was talking about the end of Chicago, he was talking about digging deep to get under the 310 threshold. So talk more about how that feels. Like when you're in that zone, when you're on the line, you said you can talk yourself into that space. What does that feel like? Uh, it's just a totally different mindset. You know, uh, like I said earlier, it was a total, um, almost no negative thoughts are allowed in, in my head before the race. Uh, even leading up to the race for, a week before I start them, I start doing the mantra stuff uh, a week or two out. I figure out what I figure out what's driving me at that moment and uh, what's going to get me to the finish line. And that that idea of that I own this and that the and for Chicago is like I earned my spot. I earned my spot to be here, and I can earn my spot to be in Boston also, or I will earn my spot to be in Boston. And it's just a total. At mile 24, 25, when I when I pulled over to get a, a cup of Gatorade, it was I I knew I could stop there and finish and have a decent time still, and but there was there was no there wasn't going to be any glory in that. There wasn't I, there was no way that I put in all of those miles to to and all of that hard work to stop at that moment and and to not get to what I wanted, not to reach that goal at that on that day. That's the Greg. That's the Greg we need to tap into here. That's the Greg we want. Actually, Chris, Greg just let it. <clears throat> I there's more we could talk about, but the most important thing is, Greg, approach the statement of purpose the same way you approached the last week before your marathon. Okay. If you do that, you're going to get a great statement of purpose because you just said the old. I don't. I don't let all that bullshit get into my space in the week beforehand. I do all the things I need to do. I take care of all that business. Let's do the same thing with your statement of purpose. And I think one of the things you're going to find is that you start doing that on every single day of your runs. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have bad days. They come and they go, they come, but that you're like, I'm in control. And what you do is you choose to control that last week or those last few days or those last few hours or what happens in the context of the race itself. 
Right. But the statement of purpose will give you a way to blow through your old self and reposition that self that you choose that makes you so inspired to be a runner and to be a racer. And that's why you love race day. Like I guarantee you, you're what I call a baller. You show up on race day and you destroy no matter what. Even if you don't reach a goal, you still probably destroy where you expected to be because you show up on race day. What we're asking you to do is show up before then so that you can have this powerful statement that you're going to be able to use to help you stay in control through all the rest of your period of your running life. Yeah, I, I, think, wanna... I think that you pretty much nailed it there. I also want to touch on one thing, which is you you mentioned something about being an inspiration sure. at the beginning of this discussion. It was kind of like when I asked you that, sec- that second question and read your statement, now, have, you, have you thought about anything else? And you added that. I want to be an inspiration. That wasn't in your initial writing. Right. But I also want you to reflect on that piece because I think some of this could be for you is owning the fact that you are an inspiration and being all that that represents for whoever might be inspired. I mean, how much, how much weight have you lost? So, um, close to 80 pounds, depending on the, depending on where I am in the race, the race, uh, training cycle, but yeah. around, 80, so, around 80 pounds. You've lost 80 pounds. You went from not being able to run at all to running a 309 marathon 2017 in a six year time frame. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable, man. You overcome, you've overcome addiction. You've overcome bad, you know, life. At rug, we call that next level shit. It's next level shit. <laughs> and like you, will, you. you have, you have, you have the opportunity to be that person that other people are looking at and saying, if he can do it, I can do it. Right. And what does that mean to you? Is that something that viscerally gets you going at, you know, in those moments when you might imagine that two, three Oh five is on the line, or maybe at some point a three sub three is on the line. You know, is yeah. that going to take you to the next level? Yeah, it definitely, that's definitely in the back of my mind also. Um, maybe I need to bring it to the front of front of my mind on a daily basis or not. Maybe I, I, I should do that. I need to do that. Um, there's, like I said, I, I want to inspire, especially kids to be able to, uh, kids to look up to me or look and see that. At one point, I was hopeless, and and I achieved something that I that I set out and focused on. Um, I mean, to get to the point where I am, it took laser focus for a, a long time of, uh, and a lot of miles. And um, down the road, I want I want kids to be able to, first of all, not make the choices that I made to get me into the spot that I was that I that I was in. But if they are ever in that spot, to know that they can work through it. Um, and I think that there are a lot of opportunities within running to help kids and, and uh, help society in general. I know that if running became part of my life at an earlier age, so I, I played sports and, and competitive soccer until I was around 16 or 17 years old. And once that once the opportunity to play at the level I was playing ended, I, uh, I lost a lot of hope with in all aspects of my life, a, a lot of enjoyment went away and I, and I filled it with other things that weren't productive or, or helpful. And they were, uh, you know, bad decisions. And I think that running, what running has brought back into my life is that joy and that, that hard work and that, um, 
on a daily basis, I, I can get out and run six or 10 miles before work and feel like I really accomplished something. And uh, no matter what happens throughout the day, I know that that I just I just did something that a good percentage of the, of America won't even attempt to do, and that's getting up in the dark and the cold and the snow and 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 getting some hard work in. And uh, like I said, I if if running was a part of my life when I was 17, when soccer ended for me, I think that uh, I could have avoided a lot of a lot of hard hard times in my life. So if I can inspire and, and help kids and youth to go that direction rather than the road I went, I, that would be amazing. I mean, you have the opportunity to be the hero to others. And it's hard to say that. One, because for you, you've got to let go of this person you were. But also, too, because even if you have let go of that, it also sounds a little bit egotistical. It's hubris, yeah. as they it's, it's say. It's like yeah. hubris, but, but, but that's not the way you would be saying it or, or I would be saying it for you. It's genuinely for coming from a, compl- a place of compassion in that you want to be that person who inspires others not to make the same mistakes or to be their best self. Warriors don't just slay dragons, Greg. They also lead yeah. their people. And you're, you've got, that's where you, that is the construct. You've slayed dragons. You're curious, you're worried that you might not continue to slay dragons. I don't believe me, brother. You're going to slay dragons <laughs> to the end of your days. I am not worried about that. But I do think Chris is making a really smart distinction and bringing this other piece in this altruistic piece because it's definitely a part of why you're doing what you're doing and if you don't wrap that into your statement of purpose in some meaningful powerful way then you won't ever resonate with just cutting people's heads off and shitting down their throats as i like to say you will also need to lift them up and make them believe they can do more than that and so you need that to be a part of this statement of purpose for it to really truly be that statement that's that is absolutely motivating to you on a long-term consistent basis that makes a lot of sense how does all of that feel greg after talking through it um definitely looking forward to going out for a run tomorrow morning that i wasn't necessarily looking forward to a half hour ago (laughs) i love you man you rock there you go and that's the point that is the point that's the point So you've got some homework to do to refine what you've written, but don't be afraid to put it out there and own some of the things that we talked about. Okay. Fair well, he's right. on a podcast doing it to, yeah. to what we know of as being potentially that many thousands of people. So, which by the way, Greg, thank you. It is a gift to have you be willing to be one of our Guinea pigs in this process. And um, we started this off, Chris and I, hoping it would be good, nervous about whether we could execute, worried about whether you guys would be able to roll with what's going on. And uh, it's just been amazing. And you're, you, we're, we're grateful and thankful for your, your willingness to participate with us. Oh, man, I am, I'm honored to be a part of it. I, uh, when I was emailing back and forth with Chris, I think I, I got pretty long-winded in some of those emails. And at the end of it, I, at one of them, I was... <laughs> I was asking Chris if he was if he was willing to be my my coach from a, a long distance coach, and he, I think at this point he was probably like sick of reading what my entire life story. <laughs> but he uh, he, was like, he was like just hold off a few months. We might have something that can help. So as soon as you guys put that offer out there, I, I couldn't wait to jump on it. 
That's awesome. Well, we're happy to be a part of your journey now and and everybody else is too because you've got an audience listening. So you're already inspiring. So thank you for joining us, Greg. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for everything. And thanks for inspiring me to, to uh, get out there some more. So there you go. That was the conversation with Greg. Started with a little email exchange between him and I and now we've come all the way to this where he's burying himself with us on the podcast, which is really, really cool. And his story is really, really cool. So thanks, Greg, for sharing with us. Very, very impressive what you've been able to do to change, change your life. So thank you. All right, Steve, now as we reflect, we've had three really, really good conversations over these two episodes with Lee, Amanda, and then now Greg. And I want to just, you and I riff a little bit here on kind of some takeaways. I gave a few of those briefly at the end of the last episode, but I think there's more to talk about there. And the first takeaway, which I emphasized at the end of that last episode, is that you've got to start, you've got to do this work if you're serious about hitting a goal. And hopefully listening to those three conversations for those that might be on the fence about the value of this work, hopefully it encourage you and push you over the edge to actually sit down and make it happen. But if it hasn't, then we're imploring you at least give it a shot. Spend some time on it. Then Go you don't with an open then, mind. Chris, then they don't fucking care about their race results. And that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. But to say that you if you care and you don't do the statement of purpose, then I would say that's like um, knowing that in the marathon you need to have nutrition, but I just don't like gel, so I'm just not going to do it. It's not my thing, right? Well, find something else. Make it happen. But I think that this statement of purpose is so essential to the process of being a next-level runner that um, I challenge anyone to say they really care about their performance if they don't take the step. Now I know it might not be the time for some people to do it. That's another question altogether, Chris, right? Timing comes in at different spots. People don't need to get all balled up and nervous weeks before their big race. Statement of purpose is not great if your race is in two weeks or three weeks, right? But people who are getting ready for Boston, they should be doing this work right now. They should be getting the work done so they've got time to reflect and work on it. And I just think if they don't start it, then they really don't care about their race results. And again, that's not a big deal except for those people who say that that's not true. So you're saying if somebody's running the Austin Marathon in, th- in now two weeks, then maybe you should wait recommend. for this until after. <laughs> wait for this until after. But you should do it in the month or so after because it'll be a good time to reset and think about the future again, starting with this very purpose. So sit down, do the work. And if you're one of those who's skeptical and thinks, uh, guys, this is all just cheesy bullshit. I don't see how it can help me. Then do it anyway. Go in with an open mind and just see. I mean, the worst that can happen is you find that it's cheesy bullshit and it doesn't help you at all. We think if you're serious about it and you really put in the work and, and follow the other sort of takeaways and lessons that we're going to give, we think it's a worthwhile exercise and that that's what you'll find. But just give it a shot. Yep. It's that simple. Now, and to any of my athletes that are listening, if I personally coach you, 
you have an open invitation to work with me on this statement of purpose, just so it's set out there. You know, those of you who don't get to work with me, well, maybe you'll get some opportunities in the future. <laughs> well, and same goes for my athletes, as they know. This this is the good stuff. So they're scared, Chris. They're scared. <laughs> <laughs> I have had a few in my group since they listened to the last episode say it's time to do this, and naturally, I said. It's past time to do this. It's past time to do this, but bring it. All right. But if you're going to do it, you need to approach it in a certain way. And and Lee, in an exchange we had after I edited and, and posted the last episode, he made the comment in an email. He said, I've streaked before and felt less naked than I did talking with you guys on that podcast. So you know, part of this doing it in the right way is, is being naked, being willing to strip everything away and show not just yourself, but also others what is really going on underneath the masks and the clothes. Right, Steve? I agree 100%. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very uncomfortable in our culture to, um, truly be vulnerable. Um, you know, you hear more and more of that these days as as people are encouraged through the fact that our, our communities are now based on social media and um, there are it's harder and harder to connect with people. Um, I think vulnerability is lost and we lose it. It's never been a popular sentiment and it's not getting any more popular. Let me just say it that way. But I do think to truly get to understand what your statement of purpose is – you need to be vulnerable, number one, with yourself. But you know, Chris, as vulnerable as those three listeners, those three listeners that we had on in this, both all three, Lee, Lee Amanda, and Greg, um, they were vulnerable, right, with themselves originally. But what was really crucial and key, and this is the second part that I think is important, is to find someone else to share their statement of purpose with and be vulnerable with someone else so that they've got the ability to, for someone to check their work. And once they were willing to be vulnerable with us and we could check their work, Chris, things rapidly moved to where they got very, very clear on what they were, what their purpose was, you know, and it made our job even easier. And they could begin to see the sort of, the sort of maybe um, uh, blinders that they had on that they couldn't tell what, that they couldn't see beforehand. And it took us seeing them to help them with it, you know? Yeah, or us just asking the right questions. And so, yeah, it's it's really hard to be naked with yourself in a sense or get completely, strip everything completely bare with yourself. We like to deceive ourselves in ways that often we don't recognize. But our friends, our coaches, our partners can look at that and say, you know what, I call bullshit there or ask the pointed question that gets underneath and I would encourage people, you know, part of doing this on your own initially, if you just look at the words on the page and keep asking your, yourself why, it's a way that you can get to it on your own, at least partially. I mean, obviously, we recommend always bringing somebody else in. But as you're initially writing this, if you just keep asking yourself why, why do I feel this way? Why did I put these words down? that will help kind of get underneath. But still, you need that outside resource to kind of really push you. 
which means you have to be willing to take off all your clothes and just let it out there. Yeah, you know, We're Chris, willing- part of what we, mostly what we do in this process, even though we haven't really called it that, is is pretty much simply Socratic questioning, you know? And so anybody who wants to get a little better at figuring out what those questions are, like you said, why, just do a quick Wikipedia search for Socratic questioning and what will come up are a wide variety of different questions that you or methods that you can utilize utilize to question your statements. And um, it's super simple. It's super easy. It's but it, it it's super simple. But it's not really super easy. I shouldn't say that. Um, it makes you stretch. But you don't have to go take some fancy class. Just go to Wikipedia, put in Socratic questioning. What will pop up is kinds of questions, implications and consequences, questioning your questions, clarifying your thinking, you know, challenging assumptions, all that stuff that we pretty much did, Chris, with with those three listeners. People can do that to themselves. It's even more powerful if you do it with someone who knows you and loves you and can see where your blinders are. But regardless, the vulnerability is the key, key aspect after the doing of it in the first place. Yep. And... One thing, and so that's sort of about kind of getting to the right place to be ready to really get something powerful on paper. And you talked about asking the right questions. One thing that we didn't really cover with Lee and Amanda, who both brought it up, was this idea that is it one question or two questions? You know, Lee had introduced that concept on our podcast training group Facebook page, which is where he was answering both the question, why do I run in general? And also the question, why do I train for a specific goal? He kind of made that delineation. Amanda referenced it when she talked about it. What are your thoughts on that delineation that he made? Well, you know, ultimately I said to, I can't remember who it was, but I think I might've said it to all three. I can't remember exactly who I said it to, but I said, what really matters is what are you going to tell yourself at the 22nd mile in a marathon for our marathon? And we all know who have been at that point at the 22nd mile, and that's not the golden number, but somewhere between 18 and 24 miles, we're questioning every single thing about why we're doing this, why we're suffering, because the pain gets to be so great, and it's very difficult to stay focused, and it's such a long freaking time to be doing what you're doing. And you many, many times, unless you're in a race the size of Boston, you're kind of by yourself. So this is going to come to a head no matter what. And I feel like I've never run a marathon where it didn't. Almost every athlete that I've ever coached will, if I get back to get down to brass tacks and ask them about it, they'll also state absolutely that this happened. So the real question, Chris, is the real question is, is why are you doing this when it hurts so bad? And that's where the statement of purpose really comes through and shines through and under the glaring light of suffering and expectation and where they meet where your will is at its lowest ebb because it's so hard to do what you're doing. And you're going to need to dig, dig, dig really deep, right? What was that? Dig deep into the suitcase of courage. I forget who said that. But anyway, it's like knowing knowing that you're – it's, it's going to help you through that. Now, I think that first question is why do you run? I think most of the listeners that are listening to us now, Chris, they've been doing this for so long. They've been at it. They spend an hour and a half listening to our freaking podcast nearly every week. They probably know subconsciously why they run. And delineating that is probably not as a valuable process except for philosophical 
interest. And philosophical interest is incredibly important because it gives you an idea about who you are as a human being and what, what you're all about from a global picture. And running is a huge part of those of us who run consistently on a daily basis. It is a, one of the ways we define ourselves as humans. But that doesn't really help you at the 22nd mile. What helps you is what we're really trying to get at with the statement of purpose. It will help you get through that dark night of the soul, as St. John of the Cross said, and get you the result you're looking for. Yeah, and one of the ways I sometimes put it with my runners is, what will that outcome mean to you when you achieve it? Because that's another way to kind of ask the same question. It's like, why are you trying to achieve this outcome? What will it mean to you when you achieve it? What does it represent for you in your life? And it's a, it's, it's a question that might be answered in the general, why do you run? But it's a more specific answer. Correct. Why do you yeah. run to achieve a certain goal? And that's really what we're striving for because that's what matters, as you say, at mile 21 of a marathon when it hurts. And you've got to make sure you get every second out of those last five. Now, a part of answering that question in the right way, I think, is being honest with yourself and others about what's really important to you. You know, I think it was interesting in all of the three discussions with Lee, Amanda, and Greg that there were some of what you might call red herrings, you know, in each of those statements, which is that, you know, this is important. And it would be hard to argue with Amanda, for example, that her faith isn't important to to her. As we talked about with running being a place for her to pray, I'm sure her faith is really important to her. And it would be reasonable for somebody to sit there and say, you're doing it for your faith or because of your faith. That would be a reasonable answer. You'd think, yeah, sure, Amanda, that's great. But you've got to really ask yourself, is that why I'm doing it relative to this question we just referenced? And so it's about being honest with yourself about what really matters among all the things you could write down about what's important to you. And how is that going to translate into something that, that has teeth or takes the pressure, as you said on the last episode? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, as you said, Chris, it's, it, it's always a difficult discussion when you talk about, about purpose and where your worldview is and how your worldview is set up. And I think that maybe, I think maybe why some of our listeners are having a hard time with this because they don't, they're not in a place where they question themselves much at all, you know? And so it's hard. It's, it's big stuff. But the question is, and, and I didn't mean, I don't mean to say this in any way of distinguishing from what Amanda was doing as being dishonest, but it's mostly really being willing to be honest with yourself. So I'm not saying any of these three listeners that we had were being dishonest because I don't think they were, but I don't know that they were going through that process honestly enough to really get down to brass tacks with where they were. And so you've got to be vulnerable, but you've also got to really ask yourself those hard questions about the why, the why, the why, the why, the where, the what, the why, and all that stuff because you're looking for true honesty and for something that can take the pressure. So um, – and I don't think that – I think that that balance between who you are as a person and are you an honest person, I mean 
you know, as a coach, I know I'm dishonest, but I do it to get the result that I want. But I think as a human being, I'm a very honest person. And so for someone to say to me, well, you need to be even more honest. I'm like, well, how is that possible? In this process of doing a statement of purpose, I'm sure that that can be gleaned to getting even more honest along the line. And again, Chris, we've talked about this. This is a living document, right? This is something that is ongoing and a long process. We, but you've got to get something down on paper and start racing with it, start training and racing with a statement of purpose to see how it informs you. And that will help you be even more honest as you go down the line about what really, really matters. So, yeah. anyway. And I, think, I think one of the reasons why it's hard to be honest is because oftentimes we're trying to write something that you think people want to hear. Yes. And, you know, using Lee as an example – you know, he wrote down a lot of good things and I think generally the ideas for his true purpose were, were encapsulated in what he had initially written. But the idea of saying, look, I'm doing this to prove to myself that I'm a badass or to have to be able to have the physical evidence that, <laughs> that confirms what I already know, which is that I'm a badass. I mean, it sounds selfish and it yeah. sounds maybe silly if you were to tell somebody else that. It's like, well, that's a selfish. Lee's a selfish bastard. All he cares about is proving, you know, that he's a, that he's a badass, and he knows he's a badass already. So, it just sounds weird, and maybe it goes against some societal norms about what we should think about w- ourselves and what we should, the reasons why we should do things. Especially in his case, as a as a family guy who has to also, you know, contribute in the communities around him. To sit there and say that this thing, this running thing is a selfish pursuit for me doesn't sound good, but it's the honest truth. And is there anything wrong with that? I don't think so. Well, they know what they say when you're on an airplane, if we run into turbulence and the uh, the uh, mask drops, put your own mask on first before you put on the mask of somebody else because you can't help anybody if you're not breathing. And I mean, that's the way I always say about selfishness in that regard, when it's talked about in that way is that you got to work on yourself in order to be effective for other people. And um, I think it's crucial, crucial and critical to, um, to, to really ask yourself those questions about, about you know, if, you, if it is that you want to be a badass, which we're paraphrasing, by the way. Don't jump on Lee and say that all he wants <laughs> to do is be a badass. But basically that's where we think he is, and he's trying to prove it, is that you got to move through this, through this life with your – Getting your having your own stuff straight and your own head on your shoulders, going for a goal. And if somebody says that going for a, if someone's trying to make a million dollars this year, why is that not selfish? Why not making yourself the best human being you could possibly be? That's the kind of selfishness I'm more interested in than something that's monetarily based. The process that Lee's going to go through to prove to himself that he's a badass is worth so much more than any single race result or any pile of money or any other things that happen, does that change the fact that what his, what the way his, how he's raising his children, his relationship with his, with his wife? No, all those things are super crucial and super important, but, but Lee still just has to walk through his day-to-day life in his own way. And this is the way he's being a warrior and I, or at least one of the ways, and he's very serious about it. And I think that's the best kind of selfishness that there can be. Yeah, be selfish so that you can be your best self for others. And we saw with Greg that maybe there were, in his case, were some more external motivators that 
the ability to be an inspiration for others. You know, I think he's got to go back and decide after that discussion, is this about truly owning his warrior self and leaving that past completely behind and, and sort of getting rid of that reference point of his old self? Or is it about inspiring others as a part of this new journey to overcome things like what he's overcome? And we can't answer that question, but there may be some more quote unquote traditional altruistic motives in his purpose, but it does it doesn't really matter because we're not grading or comparing, you know, one purpose isn't better than another, except on the scale that is measured by is it true to you? And right. if it is, and it motivates you when it matters, that's what matters. Absolutely. I mean, there's not much more to say to it than that. You know, we we do discuss the altruistic versus the selfish. But again, those are just words around the fact that at mile 22, what are you going to get? What's going to get you through that tough time? I remember when I was in college racing the 5K, there were so many times where I just thought it's so much easier not to push a little bit more. But I would say to myself, what are you going to think about at the finish line? You know what I mean? Will this pain be the same? And almost always it allowed me, and I also had this other thing where get on somebody's shoulder, you know. Put your nose in their asshole, I used to say all the time. Like, get your nose as close to them as you possibly can. Smell their bad breath, you know, because then you're back in the race again and you're into it. So, but ultimately, those that's that's a context of three to four minutes in a race, Chris, and 5K. In a marathon, it's many miles. And that's, you know, 15, 20 minutes of existential dread. You need a you need something to help you get through that. That's more than just a few pat little things. It has to be something stronger, more meaningful that you can reach into and pull out so you can whip ass. You can, you can crush that last bit of the race. So, um, you know, we're, if, if the world doesn't know already that works, that we think that doing a statement of purpose is really, really <laughs> crucial and important. I'm not sure how much more we can do to convince them. is <laughs> dead. The, yeah. And then the other thing is, as you alluded to just a few minutes ago, is that, you know, once you do it, once you share it, once you refine it, once you feel like you've gotten to a place where it's honest, it can take the pressure, it's the thing that's going to matter to you at mile 21, then live with it for a bit. You said it's a living, breathing document. It is because your purpose over time is going to evolve, is going to evolve as mine has, as we've talked about. But also, especially once you initially get something down, you have to kind of live with it, train with it, do a race, you know, where you kind of tap into it and see if it stands up with the test of some pain and maybe the test of having a bad workout. You know, Amanda had a bad workout after we shared that podcast this week <laughs> yes, and, she and she did. She had a bad workout. So, you know, statement to Amanda is go back to the statement of purpose after you have a bad workout to make sure that you put your head back on straight so you can get out and do the next thing you need to do in training to kick ass for her in April. So, so you got to kind of live with it, test it out, see how it works. And you might find that when you need it, it doesn't hold water in which case it's time to go back to pen and paper. Right. Absolutely. But you may also find that it works. 
<laughs> in which case, you know, you know, you, you know, you're cooking with gas, as my dad used to say. Yep. In that situation. Yep. All right. So, as you said, we beat a dead horse to this point. We're going to continue with this series because there's other parts of purpose that we want to talk about. There's also other examples of athletes that we're going to bring on that we want to share with you. We've had interest from others. I've had a couple, several emails this week from people that have heard the episode with Lee and Amanda and want to be potentially on a future episode. If that's you, if you're willing to get naked on the podcast and have Steve and I help you build and refine your statement of purpose, then shoot me an email, chris at roguerunning.com. You don't necessarily have to have had your statement of purpose done by the time you express interest, but you will obviously need to have it done in fairly short order so we can get you on the line to talk about it. So if you're interested, shoot me an email, chris at roguerunning.com. Otherwise, that wraps up episode 60. Thanks again to Lee, Amanda, and Greg for sharing and for being willing to get naked with us in front of all of you. We really appreciate that. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.